you are locked on wild your minnesota wild every day hello i'm your host joe bully of zonecoverage.com and with me is tony abbott of the athletic tony how you doing today I'm doing all right, Joe. Just uh, just getting in for another half hour of Wild Talk, baby. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Anyways, it's another episode of Locked on Wild. We've gotten some great response, uh, some great traction so far, even as, as early as it is. Really, really liking doing the show. Like I said, it gets us a chance to really kind of talk of, of things that uh, we don't normally talk on or even spend as much time on sometimes as well with our with our other podcast, which if you don't listen to 10K Rinks Radio, I strongly suggest you go over there and uh, hit the subscribe button on that as well. Anyways, topic for today, Tony. All right, I'm ready for it. XL Energy Crowd. All right, this is a good topic, um, but Why? Recently, the Jets were just in town, right? They were. They were in town. Yep. And normally, and and I even brought this up on our Winter Classic episode for last week, was that I think Jets fans travel really well. I think they tend to get the best out of Wild fans in the fact that, you know, the atmosphere is usually pretty good. But it didn't really happen so much this past week. It was actually quite the, uh, the mausoleum. Yeah, no, no, it was very quiet. A lot of people commented on, on it, and that's kind of weird because, right? You would expect that if it was like the that huge blowout game, right? But uh, but this right. was a very very close game from beginning to end, pretty much. And so I kind of want to talk a little bit. Like you are my friend that hates classic rock of all sorts of situations, and I'm curious. Like the fan experience was supposed to be kind of revamped this year. And yet they still play a lot of classic rock, still a lot of rock music, very little hip hop. And I'm I'm wondering about the music. And does that really do much to actually hype up your average hockey fan? I don't know how much it does do that. Uh, I, I'm guessing like something other than like the same old rotation of just like, I don't know, Rush songs or <laughs> Led Zeppelin or... I'm trying to think of like the three bands that they play. God, there. you hate immigrant song. I I don't hate the immigrant song so much as it's just like it's a song that's old enough to be your dad. Why do you why do we need to listen to the immigrant song at every arena fifty years later? Like I kinda get like having to listen to Seven Nation Army, a song that's not even that's not even fifteen years old at every arena. I get that. That's well within the life uh, spam, the life cycle of a song. I just don't get why we have to do it for songs that are 50 years old. Yet you listen to Buck Owens. Oh, did you try to own me with my own logic? Yeah, but here's the thing. I don't make everybody, I don't make (laughs) 18,000 people listen to Buck Owens, right? I just like play it in my house. Maybe Alicia's there, but almost always not. And I listen to a lot of other stuff. I listen to stuff from the 90s, the 2000s, maybe not so much the 2010s because uh, I'm like a decade behind when it comes to music. But yeah, I listen to uh, I listen to all kinds of music. I just like, I, here's the thing. I listen to a variety. I don't listen to exclusively music that came out before 1977, which is when rock music started becoming good. Becoming good, sure. Well, and so... I totally understand, like, staying away from, like, the Motley Crue's and Poison and, you Absolutely know, terrible. Dog shit 
bands. Oh, well, I got to bleep that. <laughs> I mean, I can totally do without that. But a song like Immigrant Song that's really kind of stood the, you know, stood the test of time there, even just like most often you're going to get like your grunt, your 90s grunge, your your 2000 like uh, new metal, I suppose. But I'm just wondering, like, how much does really the music have an effect in creating an atmosphere? Because there just seems to me like the wild just keep forcing music in general, whether it's local music, whether it's uh, organ music or anything. I don't know what it does to really help create the atmosphere. I think think, organ music's really cool. I think that's essential to the hockey experience in my mind. And I do love the organ. I loved it that the wild actually went out and actually purchased an organ, uh, a real organ a couple of years ago, uh, because they used to just have like that Casio keyboard sound that was mounted up in like a fake Zamboni in the corner in the Excel energy center. I guess for me, it's just like, you know, Las Vegas somehow able is able to use music and that DJ vibe, that dance club vibe to really get a lot of energy in that room. And I'm just wondering, is it Minnesota fans in general, or is it just kind of like hockey ops? And I think, I think that's what we're going to discuss today. I think it's very much the wild branding of like everything just like has to be very safe and tested and tried and true. I mean, we couldn't even get a song that wasn't crowd chant for more than uh than a year or two oh yeah it's so bad and there there's like nothing moving on that front either like we're never going to get another song other than crowd chant we're gonna have to wait till like god we're gonna have to wait till like bob dylan dies before we get a new song and you hear about like chicago right they always seem to have really great game ops they play music kind of more of situational you know if there's a fight they might play a song that plays off of it a little bit or you know they just play a little more like um situational type things because they're paying attention to the game and i just i want to know like okay what is it that they do with music that gets more out of the crowd because i get sick and tired of listening one to the same set of music and then just like there's no reaction to it Mm -hmm. yeah i i don't know exactly what would do it for like the average fan coming into the xl energy center but it, it, there's definitely more to be untapped than they have there now. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit more, I think, here, but we're going to take a short pause. We'll get on to whether or not this Jonas is on the team or if it's actually just fans a little bit more right after the break. You're listening to Locked on Wild. And we're back on Locked on Wild. We've got Tony from The Athletic Minnesota. I'm Joe Bully from ZoneCoverage.com. We're talking about the XL energy crowd sort of atmosphere. And I, I tease kind of before the break, but like, who do you think the onus is on really to create that atmosphere? Is that the team engaging better with the fans or should the fans take it upon themselves to create that atmosphere? It's an interesting question. I think it's probably more with the team to create an atmosphere like that. Or I don't, Hmm. It's a little bit of a stumper, isn't it? It's kind of a chicken or the egg. It is because you, you can say like, okay, you can you can have the fans go in and, and like, I think, but here's the thing, right? I think wild fans are passionate, right? We are on Twitter and we, I would think, have some pulls on the, on the fandom of the Minnesota Wild. And, you know, we see people all the time on Twitter, you know, uh, being extremely happy when this team's doing well, being extremely upset 
when the team's <laughs> not doing well, like living More or dying in that way. Say, yeah. You know, laughing, uh, making jokes. You know, there there is that passion there. So I, I do think it is the team, however it can be unlocked, not unlocking that for a game situation. It might have, there might be other factors to do it too, just kind of like, uh, I would say that Wild fans are passionate, but I think that maybe the style of play doesn't always get the excitement mm-hmm. out of it. You know, they're they're historically not a high-scoring team. They're not a team that gets a lot of chances. Mm-hmm. Even uh, even from a physicality uh, standpoint, like I'm not like I'm not a huge you have to be a physical team to do well thing. I think that's kind of bunk. But I, I don't think there's any denying that when you have just like a giant hit on the corner, like the crowd goes nuts for stuff like that. And mm-hmm. there's not really been a lot of players like that outside of in, in recent years, Marcus Felino, who are going to lay that big hit or anything like that. So I I think it does have a little bit to do with the style of team. And I think that in some part can't be helped, right? You know, Mm -hmm. you can, you can only do so much to bring in a superstar. And if the players that you're drafting, you know, aren't physical and you're gunning for skill, which I think is the right thing to do. Right. Then, you know, you're, you're not going to be that kind of physical team. It just, I I think some of it's also a byproduct of being stuck in the middle. And that's on the team, maybe from a from a personnel putting together standpoint, and not yeah. a game ops thing. But yeah, I, I I think there is a lot of passion from the fans, and and I I'm not. It would be interesting to hear from a wide group of people as to like what would really get them going. Right. Well, and I just I I think like okay, the, the Minnesota Wild are in the same market as the Minnesota Vikings, the Minnesota Twins, and the and the Timberwolves for your main four male dominated sports, right? Professional sports. So the twins made some changes this year. They started using more like sirens, the Bomba squad. They were one, they were an exciting team to watch, but it seemed like there was a lot more play by the marketing team and the game ops to, to play into some of that little bit. And, and get behind the team. And, and I thought the crowd would get behind that and cheer and, and stuff. The Vikings are, it doesn't seem to matter if they're good or bad. It seems like that, that place is always sold out and it's always rocking too. And even and then the, I think they're doing stuff. That's cool. Like I think the skull chant is something that's new that they've been adding to the thing. Whereas yeah. what's, what's the new wrinkle? What's the newest wrinkle to the in-game experience that we've seen is a t-shirt guy. I think it's oh, t-shirt guy. Yeah, it might be T-shirt guy, and the Wild need to burn that contract with T-shirt guy in a flame. Because please, please do not bring him back. Because it is it's such a weird bit, and I don't get it. And don't, don't bring him back. Bring me in there. I will do it for half the price. Joe and I are gonna do it for half the <laughs> price. We're gonna you're gonna get two for half. We're gonna undercut the T-shirt guy. <laughs> we're gonna under- <laughs> we're gonna take off each other's t-shirts <laughs> uh, well that would be a show for sure um i don't know if many people want to actually watch that but i want to watch it uh and then you know like they got the hype video prior to the game i think for the most part like you talked about the wild fans being passionate but Something happens during the game where they just kind of settle in and watch. Now, it's a completely different story. That place when during the playoffs is amazing. And 
I'd love to actually see that and be a part of that because I have yet to actually be to a playoff game. But for some reason, like the regular season, it just turns into a museum or a mausoleum or a movie theater where people are just kind of sure they're watching the game. They're cheering a good penalty kill a uh, when the team is actually putting on and playing uh, pressure for, you know, more than just a, a shift when they can get a line changer in that like the fans are genuinely like appreciating the, it, the nuances of the game now. And sure enough, like when there's bad calls by referees, which seems to be happening more and more. Um, and that's just across the league. That's not just wild related. I think it's just more and more across the league where calls are just being bad. But I feel like for the most part, they just kind of sit back and watch. And I'm trying to figure out how can we get this raucous buzz atmosphere where it seems like they're on the edge of their seat all the time. And maybe it is just as simple as like a Carol Cap or something coming in and just lighting the NHL on fire, or maybe it's just an exciting team on the ice, but you know, the, the XL energy center is for its namesake just kind of seems to lack a lot of energy during the regular season. And I do think you're on the right track with uh, some of that in terms of just like, there's not really that star so there's not really that buzz, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've gone to uh, you've gone to Twins games when they were bad. Yeah. And what did you think of the crowd there? I thought, I mean, there were smaller crowds, but I still thought the fans that were there were were into the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we're talking like late, mid, you know, mid to late '90s, where they were really bad, then that was, you know, different. I was also a kid at the time too. We're just enjoying just enjoying the uh, the game in itself, you know, just happy to be there. Now, when you look back at like the late nineties when the twins were really bad, you know, and I was a kid probably at the time. So I was probably more just excited to be in the building and actually watching professional baseball, but, and, and maybe didn't quite get the whole thing. And I will admit like me personally, I'm not like a raw, raw guy for the most part. Like there's times where I'll yell out to the ice and things like that, but I'm not really the one to like join in with the the clapping and the and the little prompts that the game ops does. So I'm oh, so probably, it's your fault. I'm probably to blame for this. Actually, you should go this, to XL Energy Jail. But that's just like do not know, pass go. <laughs> do not collect one hundred ninety eight million dollars. Ooh, that would be nice though. Um, not for you. You don't get to collect it. No, I don't get to collect it. Uh, but you know what I mean, like so. I like to cheer. I like to, I like to be loud. Personally, part of it's kind of like the people I'm usually with. It's usually my wife and she's not really much of a rah-rah person either. So it's like, I can't really get loud and just be the guy in the section that's making a fool out of himself. And I don't have somebody else. I need peer pressure. Uh, I need somebody that's not next true, to me. Because I've gone it. with you and I've made a fool out of myself and you didn't join in at all. Well, part of it was your drunken stupor in front of a bunch of kids. Yeah. So it's yeah. good. They're going to well, see it anyway. True. I mean, you don't want to BS a, a nine-year-old. It's true. <laughs> I just think that when it comes to Minnesota Wild games in general, I'm trying to figure out, okay, where can we pin this? And I look, Nordy's completely boring. The t-shirt guy is a weird thing. The hype video just seems to hype up, and then there's really not a lot there. But – Minnesota Wild fans are passionate. I'm just trying to figure out a good way to get that passion, that raw passion out of them. And what's really weird is like, 
you go to the different schools for college around the state of Minnesota, and there's all kinds of chanting. There's it's loud, it's raucous, or at least it used to be. And especially for Gopher fans, <laughs> but in general, like, you know, who does the chanting and who does like the loud party type of thing when it comes to hockey, it's Nashville predators fans. Mm-hmm. They do that. And now some people might th- say, well, that shouldn't be part of the professional game, but still like some, we should have like a super fan section or something. Yeah. That bring it up. Like that rivals like a student section. Somebody just to, to create that type of atmosphere because you know what? That's fun. We need someone to start the wave. No. Oh. Ooh. I think right off of that, we're going to take a pause because I got to recover. <laughs> You're listening to Locked on Wild. And we're back on Locked on Wild. Remember, it's your Minnesota Wild every day here at the Locked on Podcast Network. Again, I'm Joe, and with me is Tony, and uh, we were talking kind of XL Energy Center crowd, but uh, I even mentioned um, the Nashville Predators in the last segment, which made a little bit of news yesterday. Yeah, and did. Uh, Yeah, it, it made some waves through the Central Division. It's another Central Division coach that was fired. Uh, Bruce Boudreau survives again, which I remember seeing those favorites where he, um, where he was – kind of topping that list for favorite uh, of the, uh, you know, the betting odds for the uh, the first coach to be fired. And yet here we are and he's still a coach, which don't get me wrong. I want Bruce Boudreaux to be the coach of this wild team, but I just think it's funny how everybody had like him as the odds on favorite yet. It's Peter Laviolette being the most recent fire. Yeah. Bruce Boudreaux has outlasted a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, coaches and Laviolette's one that you would have thought would have been safe too. Uh, he had a Stanley Cup appearance in Nashville, and yeah, they'd been going off to a rough start. But you look at their goaltending, and yeah. you can uh, you can see the problem pretty clearly for what it was. Uh, they just uh, they just haven't been able to get a save. But even then, we talked about it uh, a couple nights ago. You know, there's uh, Nashville is still pretty close to where the Minnesota Wild are, and uh, and Minnesota hasn't made a coaching change now. Of course, a lot of that has to do with expectations. Nashville's expected right. to be a cup contender, and Minnesota was kind of expected to be a bottom feeder this year. Um, but, you know, Nashville's not that far away from uh, from getting a playoff spot. They just need a, a little bit of a, a of a hot streak. What is kind of interesting to me is, is their choice of coach. Yeah, it was a strange hire. They went ahead and named former Devils head coach John Hines as their uh as their coach for the rest of the season at least. Mm-hmm. And uh one of the other podcasts that I do I do with a uh with a Devils fan. So I know all about John Hines and for the life of me <laughs> I cannot understand this hire. It's it's confusing because one I mean I get it he was probably available but and, and isn't John Hines a, a Ray Shiro guy and I heard something like David Poyle and Ray Shiro or have a have kind of a connection and a lot of trust there. So uh, David Poyle probably went after John Hines just because he's a Shiro guy, but it is odd because John Hines also had, I think some decent players on the devils and I'm not going to say their greatness or that they were going to be um, a Stanley cup contender, but I think that they're more than what they are. 
Certainly not a great roster, but they did have an MVP player, level player in Taylor Hall. They had a first overall pick in Nico Hischier. And I think a lot of people might say, okay, well, Nico Hischier isn't like a first overall caliber pick. He just happened to be the first overall pick in a weak year. And I would push back on that a little bit when you look at uh, what his underlying numbers are. They're really strong. He's a really, he is like probably a first line quality two way center at the age of what is he now? 2021, an extremely young age. Mm -hmm. So like there was stuff to go off of in New Jersey, maybe not, you know, a contending team, but, but a team that should have maybe achieved a little more, at least in, in the span of five years, especially this year where they went out in the off season they got P.K. Subban in. They went out. They got Nikita Gusev in. They went out and uh, and drafted Jack Hughes first overall. They, they lucked out again in, in the draft lottery and were able to pick first overall. And while goaltending was a problem in New Jersey, they also didn't really accomplish much in their skating-wise. And they, play like this, they played this ultra-rigid defensive system that did not adjust very well to the talent that they had. And, mm-hmm. and honestly, I think I think Hines is maybe the worst hire that I could think of for a team like Nashville that should be able to overpower you with offense. They've got a lot of weapons there. Yeah, it's weird. Um, it, it, they almost both Laviolette and Hines have kind of suffered like the Mike Yo sort of defeat where he just has been killed by goaltending in a sense. And they just continue to harken back to this hyper defensive structure and and when you're putting yourself into it when you're putting yourself into a shell and you're hyper defensive you're not creating goals either and so you're not going to win games you're going to lose those one nothing games you could still play a, a phenomenally defensive game and protect your goaltender but you're still going to lose two nothing or one nothing rather than scoring those and 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 winning the games three to two or four to five, you know, five to four, that kind of thing. Uh, one last thing on the Predators thing. Tom mm-hmm. Gulitti tweeted out earlier, uh, NHL reporter used to work around New Jersey. Yep. He said, someone asked earlier, why do teams hire coaches that other teams fired? The last six coaches to win the Stanley Cup, Craig Berube, second NHL job. Barry Trotz, second. Mike Sullivan, second. Joel Quenneville. Three Stanley Cup wins. Third job. Daryl Sutter. Two uh, Stanley Cup championships. Fourth job. Claude Julien. Third job. And I looked at that and I'm like, there, there, there's got to be a difference between these guys and John Hines. With Craig Berube, it wasn't so much. He, he didn't do super good in his first job. But he also was just kind of the guy who happened to be there when Mike Yo got fired. Right. So... They uh, St. Louis happened to get hot when he came in. There wasn't really any indication that Bay was going to be successful, but <laughs> could could Mike Yo count the Stanley Cup win of the Blues as his second job <laughs> and winning? <laughs> oh no, he was fired. <laughs> but Barry Trotz had a decade yeah. of success in Nashville. Sure, Mike Sullivan had a 104 point season in his first year of coaching in Boston, and then in his second year. His GM trades Joe Thornton, who goes on to win the MVP. Yeah. And uh, and he gets fired after that. Joel Quenneville, 
in his 11 seasons of coaching before going to the Blackhawks, won or made the playoffs in nine of 11 seasons. Daryl Suter did uh, so in 10 of 11 seasons and had a cup final appearance. And Claude Julien, the year before he was hired in Boston, he was actually coaching New Jersey. 79 games into a 107-point season, he gets fired in the first year of his job. So compare that to John Hines, who has made the playoffs once, basically off a superhuman effort of Taylor Hall, and then Mm -hmm. they got absolutely waxed in five games. Like, this is... This is absolute nepotism. I don't care if Nashville pulls it together. This will never be anything different to me than nepotism, like a nepotism hire. I mean, I agree that it's probably nepotism, but at the same time, like, I I do think that, like, you probably learn a lot in your first shot in the NHL, and you do maybe get a chance. I do think you, you perhaps deserve a chance to to get a second crack at it, knowing and learning the things that you that you do. But what's odd is, like you mentioned, like his record and his win percentage was basically dog crap. And and I mean, there's plenty of coaches out there like that too. Actually, you know what's funny is uh, a a coach who kind of got fired. I thought weirdly was uh, Gerard Gallant, who is now the coach of the uh, the um, Vegas Golden Knights and you know, he got to the Stanley cup finals in his first season with Vegas. He pretty, I think he made the playoffs with Florida before he got fired. I mean, he's, I think he's a pretty damn good coach. Mm. And uh, so I'm, if there's one coach that's like, Hey, I'm kind of rooting for him just because of the way he was kind of ousted. I'm pretty, wasn't he the coach that got fired and had like a good, take a cab to the, from the arena to the airport or something like that. Yeah. Like he it was, was just kind of a real, uh, terrible way, classless way, I think, for uh, to to fire your coach and kind of get rid of him. And then he goes on and and has more success. And granted, Vegas Golden Knights got the pick of the litter with their um with their expansion draft, and they were way more successful than anybody really thought. But uh, I thought, you know, in order to get that group together and, and get them coaching a system that's one exciting, uh, an exciting brand of hockey in the desert and and make that work like they did. Um I think he's a damn good coach and and as as they say like coaches are hired to be fired, but uh I think you need to have a little more discretion when hiring those coaches. So does this make you more scared or less scared of the predators? It, it really <laughs> that's a good question cuz I don't I don't think that I think you might see a bump from the predators early on, but I think they're going to fade. I just don't know. I, I'm not really any more scared than I was yesterday. It's now if they had gone out and got like coach du jour, I suppose, or, or, or some big top coach. And I don't even say Mike Babcock cause he, I don't think he's great, but you know, he is another Stanley cup winning coach for some weird reason, but say they went uh, and got it because him. of the Red Wings. Yeah. Say they went and got him, maybe I'd say okay. Well, maybe they, he gets them back in line. But really, no, I, I'm not any more afraid of the Nashville Predators than I was yesterday. And this is a team that could quickly turn into the Minnesota Wild when you think about it. You know, <laughs> they're they're getting older. They don't have like a real star. Philip Forsberg 
really good player. Matt Duchesne, really good player. Ryan Johansson, really good player. I guess you could point to uh, to Ellis and, and Yossi on the blue line, but I mean, like Minnesota in those good years had a pretty strong blue line too, if you'll recall. And they're another team that kind of tries to regularly go out and trade for a superstar and doesn't mm-hmm. ever seem to be able to. I mean, they they get more big fish than Minnesota, but I mean, even then, like, are, are Duchesne and Johansson, for example, are they a higher caliber of players than, uh, than Parise and Suter were when they came in? Maybe not, no. So... Yeah, I, I I don't uh, I don't like their long term outlook, especially with a coach that, uh, at least from his track record in New Jersey, doesn't inspire much confidence. So what? I got a theory on why this nepotism within the NHL in their in the coaches' ranks, uh, even GMs as well, continues to sort of happen. But I want to see what you think and what what do you think is behind this for coaches to be, you know, be retreads and rehires all the time. I think it's people going with what they know. I think it's kind of like that in real life too, right? Most mm-hmm. jobs aren't filled through applications. They're, you, you know, a guy who knows a guy or, you know, uh, not using guy exclusively for men, except in the case of hockey, where it does seem to be that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. But I, I think it's people going with, you know, who they're familiar with rather than maybe uh, pounding the pavement to find the very best candidate for a job. My theory is in pretty much all of professional sports, but there's such a pressure to win and win fast when they make a change that any sort of like thinking outside of the box or trying to go after somebody that's new and quote unquote unproven GMs get penalized for it. If they make a hire of an unknown guy and after three years they they have to make a firing, it could be their own neck on the line too. So they want to try to maybe go out and get the quote name or the big guy that maybe has had some success at one time or another in the NHL. And to me, that's really what goes into this. If they weren't penalized so much by either ownership, the media, and even fans for attempting to be creative, then – then I would see you maybe maybe you take a shot on like a Jared Bednar earlier, uh, who's actually doing a really fantastic job in Colorado, or um, maybe maybe Bruce Boudreau doesn't get his first crack at the NHL when he's you know fifty years old or or whatever. It's just one of those things where it's um it's it's really weird how the dynamic is and how that dichotomy is where it's like. Well, I got to go and get a name. I got to get somebody that fans can that that, that I've heard of, or or the, the owner has can look at his resume. Yet you might actually believe in a guy who just deserves a shot, who's a really damn good coach, and you just they just need their time. They just need their shot. And I think the media and and fans and even ownership are, can sometimes be too quick on the trigger finger when it comes to making that call on the firing, if, if that person is unproven. So, all right, Tony, I think we're going to call this one a show. Where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Oh hi, Tony. You can find my work at the athletic Minnesota. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Boone one five. 
You can also find all my work at zonecoverage.com. Uh, and uh, I should probably be getting something out there hopefully this week. Um, it's been a little bit. The holidays kind of took a lot into it. Anyways, so that'll do it for uh, this uh, for, for today's show. If you like today's show, please hit subscribe so your device sends it to you and you don't have to do any work. Please leave a review and a rating on whatever podcast service you use. Thank you for listening to Lockdown Wild, and be sure to check us out every Monday through Friday to stay on top of your team every day.